news for you tonight. We're going to take a break from the statues and from the wild creatures that we've been reading about and, and the visions about those. And we're going to talk about prayer tonight from Daniel 9. Daniel 9, verses 1 to 19. The power of prayer and the prayer of power. If you did not get a study guide, raise your hand. You did not get one. Okay? Looks like everybody got one. Let's read uh, chapter 9, verse 19 verses. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by the Sanhedrin, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord uh, to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord, uh, Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill. 
because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Leonard Raymond Hill has written of the church. He said, We have many organizers, but few agonizers. We have many players and payers, but few prayers. We have many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. Much fashion, but little passion. Many interferers, but far too few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Wise words. I suppose most of us know James 5.16. What does James 5.16 tell us about Elijah? He prayed and it didn't rain for three years. Then he prayed again and rain came. And what are we told then? The fervent, effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, what we need to see though, even in James, is, is that assurance is preceded by talk of <coughs> confession. Folks, prayer that gets a hold of God's heart must be prayer where we are also honest about ourselves and we confess our sin and our desperate need of a holy God. You know, I think of Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee said, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like this fellow over here. God, you ought to be proud of me. I do this and I do that. But the publican would not even lift his face up towards heaven, but beat on his breast looking down and said, God, be merciful to me the sinner. And Jesus said he's the one that went home justified that day. Prayer and confession. Now tonight we're going to see both in Daniel. Uh, Daniel 9, the example of Daniel himself. And as I mentioned, Daniel 9 serves as a little bit of a break uh, as we've been going through his various visions and prophecies 
uh, signified by the different kinds of beasts that he's been talking about. So we're going to have a little respite from that this evening. And we're going to see this prayer of Daniel, this prayer for himself and his people. And we're going to see that it is both a prayer of confession and intercession. I want you to see, first of all, with me tonight, pray being directed in your prayers by the Word of God. Pray being directed in your prayers by the Word of God. Just glance at the first four verses of this chapter again. And I want you to notice what directed Daniel's prayer. What was it? Excuse me? Okay, concerned for his people. But what was it that he said, God, what, what provided the framework and the motivation for Daniel's prayer? If you'll pass this back to them. Exactly. Scripture, specifically in the book of Jeremiah. Now, why does he even mention that particular scripture here as a motivation of why he began to pray? What does Jeremiah say that would relate to why Daniel is praying? The 70 years. Exactly. Listen to Jeremiah 29.10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And then in Jeremiah 25, verses 11 to 13, Jeremiah writes, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. Daniel understood the word of the Lord. He understood the prophecies of Jeremiah. And he understands the current time. And understanding the current time, how many years they've been in Babylon, understanding Jeremiah's prophecy, what does he know? He knows that the captivity is nearing its end. I'm sure he did the math and realized they were only three years now from going back home. 605 B.C., when the Babylonians had first attacked Jerusalem, the first year of Darius' reign, 538 B.C., and so after uh, 67 years of exile, he realizes they've only got three years left. The Word had also given insight into why the exile had happened in the first place. What was God doing with him? God was disciplining them. He was chastening them. 
They had not kept the Sabbaths. They had not given the land its Sabbath rest. They had not obeyed the word of the Lord. They had turned to idolatry. And God said He was going to discipline His people, send them away into exile, just as Hebrews 12 tells us, those who are God's children, He disciplines. If you are without discipline, the writer of Hebrews says, it is because you are illegitimate children. When God's children sin, what does God do? He has His ways of taking you and me to the woodshed. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? He disciplines those He loves. He was disciplining Judah. Now Daniel, again, understanding all of this, he was anxious for the time of discipline to be over, and so he prayed for his people to be forgiven that they might be ready to return. Folks, what I'm saying is it's from the Word of God that we learn so much about how we should pray. Right? The Word of God is what gives us so much to pray about. Let the Word of God direct your praying. I've said to you before in the past, you ought to look at the Apostle Paul's prayers for just about every single church that he writes to. And generally in the first chapter of whatever letter it is, whether it's to the Ephesians, the, uh, the Colossians, Philippians, Thessalonians, whoever it is, generally in that first chapter right after a greeting, you're going to find Paul saying, I pray for you without ceasing and he enumerates the ways that he is praying for them. And so sometimes if you ever want to know some great ways to pray, some great petitions, read Paul's prayers, for example, and just enumerate one by one the petitions he's making for the Christians in, in that church that he's writing to and make those petitions a part of your prayer life. Pray Scripture. And let the Scripture overall guide your, your praying. Right? What's some examples? What's some ways you could do that? Maybe what's some ways you are doing that? You're letting Scripture guide your time of intercession. Testimony, anybody? With thanksgiving in your prayers, be thankful Exactly. Okay. Uh, using the, the blessings we have that Scripture enumerates as an occasion for thanksgiving over those, those specific blessings from God. Exactly. I'm using us to bless Him. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be my Go through this psalm. Exactly. Psalms are full of examples of praise to God, blessing His name because of His greatness and His power and His love and grace and mercy. Mm -hmm. we, find, we find it comforting to pray together the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, certainly. Yes, yes. Lord? The Bible says if you um, pray anything in my name, then it will be granted to you. And um, so, you know, we've been praying for the mission. Hey folks, go ahead, do, me, do us all a favor. 
take out your phones and go ahead and silence all of your ele electronic equipment. Because all over this room tonight, things are going off. <laughs> go ahead and take just a minute, okay? Everybody silence those if you would, please. Okay, Lori, back to you. So we've been praying for the missions to repair parts because we know that that's asking according to this will. And um, so, you know, I know that he's going before us and preparing those divine appointments for us for when we're. Absolutely. And you know, talking about praying related to missions, uh, I think of that prayer in 2 Thessalonians 3. Where Paul is saying, pray for us that we would proclaim the Word of God with boldness and clarity and that God would use it to open people's eyes and hearts. And he said, he went on to say, you know, because not all have faith and there are wicked men out there who oppose us. And so Paul is asking the church at Thessalonica, he's saying, you know, pray for us. Pray for those on my missionary team that we will have boldness and clarity as we speak the Word of God that people who hear us would understand what we're speaking and that we would be protected from the enemy because there's enemies of the Gospel out there. So that's a great way. 2 Thessalonians 3 is a great way to pray for mission teams that we send out as a church, right? 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 So again, letting the Word of God shape our praying. Bible reading and prayer go together. We don't need to ignore what we read in, in the Bible in our prayer time. We need to let Scripture guide our praying. Andrew Murray wrote, Little of the Word with little prayer is death to the spiritual life. Much of the Word with little prayer gives a sickly life. Much prayer with little of the Word gives emotional life. But a full measure of both the Word and prayer each day gives a healthy and powerful life. When we put the Bible together with prayer, we learn what we are to pray for. It directs our praying. And you know what the benefit of that is when you're praying Scripture? Exactly. 1 John chapter 5. What's John say? This is the confidence that we have that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears us, we know that we have the petitions we have asked of Him. When we're praying Scripture, we can know that we are praying according to the will of God. And, and the assurance of that is God hears, God answers those prayers. As I'll mention later on tonight too, you know, James says that's a problem when we pray. We don't see answers to prayer because a lot of times James says you just simply aren't praying. But then at other times when you are praying, 
you're praying for selfish desires that you may consume it upon your lusts. And we don't have assurance of answered prayer in a case like that. But when we pray according to the will of God, we can know He hears us and we have the petitions that we ask of Him. That's the blessing of praying Scripture. You got young people in your home? Pray that prayer in Colossians 1, 9 and following. That would be a good example. Colossians 1, 9 through 13 specifically, would be a great prayer to pray over people in your family, especially young people, grandkids. Okay? So again, pray being directed in your prayers by the Word of God. Verse 3. I want you to see the second point here. Pray with heartfelt fervency. Pray with heartfelt fervency. Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. How did Daniel pray? He prayed with fervency. He took off his robes, he put on sackcloth, and he fasted. You know what that says to me? It says to me, Daniel meant business with God. Sackcloth and ashes, symbols in the Old Testament of grief and sorrow and mourning over sin. Fasting, a, a symbol of seriousness whereby uh, something so heavy on your heart that you don't even eat. You're consumed with communing with God. Somebody says, is fasting biblical in the New Testament? Well, we're not commanded in the New Testament to fast, but Jesus assumed that His disciples would fast. He said, now, not while the bridegroom's with them, but after the bridegroom is gone, yes. That's the answer He gave to why His disciples weren't fasting like the disciples of John the Baptist, because the bridegroom was still with them. And so by Jesus' words there, He's assuming that we would fast after he had gone back to the Father and he gave regulations about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, when you do so, you know, go ahead and comb your hair and, and wash your face and look neat. Don't look like you're trying to fast. And so you'll be parading your righteousness before men to be seen. So again, Things that Jesus said that assumes that in the church today, His people will fast. We see Daniel putting on sackcloth and ashes, fasting and, and praying. Uh, when's the last time that your whole day's activities and scheduling have been changed or adjusted specifically for the purpose of prayer? Have you changed an entire day's schedule because you sense a need to make prayer a priority that day? Has that ever happened? You know, I think of the early Great Awakenings in, in this country where businessmen would skip their lunch hours and get together 
and pray, or on college campuses, class schedules would be interrupted for the purpose of prayer. Do we interrupt our lives any for the purpose of prayer? That may be one of the biggest missing ingredients in the life of the church today. We want everything on our schedule and nobody wants to be inconvenienced. We demand that God do it right now in the next five minutes and we don't have time to wait on Him. And it's not going to happen that way, folks. We're not going to see mighty movements of God if that's our attitude. What a shame that fervent prayer is not more a symbol of our faith. One writer wrote that the prayer meeting in the church is the Cinderella of the church. She is unloved and unwooed. She's poorly attended and little cared for. Most often, even the leaders in the church don't show up. What a shame. We need to be fervent in our praying. We'll pray if we have time. That's how we generally think of it, right? We'll pray if we feel like it. But again, look at verse 4. I pray to the Lord my God and make confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Uh, just before that, uh, uh, when it, when it says he prayed to the Lord, literally, he pleaded. The words in the original text suggest wrestling with God. Can you think of anybody in the Old Testament who wrestled with God all night? Jacob, exactly. So many of our prayers are just vain repetition. Like the little boy who got confused uh, got confused between his prayers and nursery rhymes and said, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If he hollers, let him go. Any, meeny, miny, mud. <laughs> Folks, we're to pray fervently. And you know something? Daniel was only doing what Daniel had been accustomed to do. You look back to chapter 6 and what do you find there? Three times a day. Even when there was the decree that anybody prayed to anybody other than the king, he'd be thrown into the lion's den, right? What Daniel did? Went up to his room, opened his windows towards Jerusalem, and he prayed. And when they were looking for something to accuse him of, that's the only thing they could find to accuse him of. He was such a man of integrity. It was his prayer life that they attacked. So when you see Daniel praying here in chapter 9, Daniel is only doing what Daniel customarily did prayed like this. It may be hard to be fervent in prayer if it's not your custom to pray. Now why fervency? Because it's the attitude, God, if you don't intervene and help, I'm undone. It's an attitude of desperation and trust. 
You know, it's the attitude we see in the book of Acts, right? Acts 4, when Peter and John came back and reported to the church what the authorities had said to them, what did the church do? Did they complain? Did they say, well, we're going to quit doing what we've been doing? No. Acts 4 says, together they went before the Lord in prayer. And they recognized in that prayer the sovereignty of God and what God was doing in His Son, the Lord Jesus. And they said, God, give us more boldness to speak. And the Scripture says, after they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they all spoke the Word of God with boldness. In the face of trouble and persecution, what did the early church do? They prayed fervently. Again, it's an attitude of desperation. God, we need your help. Could it be in America that we've been blessed with so much we no longer have the attitude, God, unless you intervene, we're without hope. Have we gotten too proud? You know, nobody wants to lose the abundance and the blessings we have, but maybe in the future if the church loses more cloud in America... And if more and more people turn against the church, you know what? Maybe a sense of urgency is going to come back. And we're going to start praying a little more like we really mean business with God. Maybe it's going to take something like that to shake us up. Well, a third thing I want you to see. Pray with confession in mind. Pray with confession in mind. Look at verses 4 to 13. Daniel begins talking to God about how steadfast God has been. God is the God who keeps His covenant. He says in verse 4, but in contrast to God who keeps His covenant, what's He say about Himself and His people in verse 5? We've sinned. God, You've been faithful. You're the covenant-keeping God. But we've sinned. We've departed from Your Word. We've departed from Your precepts. And then in verse uh, 6, he says, Neither have we heeded the words of those who have spoken your word to us. When servants of the Lord get up to preach the word of God today, too often it only produces a collective yawn. God gives pastors and teachers to the church today just like He gave prophets of old. But do we listen? Daniel is saying we've not listened to the people you've sent to us, to the prophets you've sent to us. Daniel's saying, God, we're, we're wrong. We're wrong. We have sinned. We've transgressed Your commands. Do we have trouble saying we're wrong? Young people may not remember this, but remember the old show Happy Days in Fonzie? I was wrong. He couldn't quite admit that he was wrong, even when clearly he was. It's too easy to excuse our sins. Here's some actual excerpts. Actual excerpts. Insurance companies have printed 
where individuals have written in with excuses to go along with their claims. Number one, coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree that I don't own. A second one, the other guy was all over the road, and I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. <laughs> I had been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. Here's a good one. The telephone pole approached my car at a rapid speed. As I swerved to get out of its way, it hit me. Oh, here's a good one. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and drove over the embankment. <laughs> Teachers today bemoan the fact that if they try to correct a child, who comes down? The parents do. They'll threaten a lawsuit of the school. We have now... Uh, a no-fault society where everybody is pointing the finger at somebody else and nobody wants to accept blame for anything anymore. You think that's coming to the church any? With our spiritual lives before God? Excuses. Not accepting up to reality and blame. Daniel is acknowledging their wrongdoing. And also how just God has been in doing what God has done to them. Look again at verses 11 through 14. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against Him. He has confirmed His words which He spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done and we have not obeyed his voice. When Daniel said there in verse 11 the curse and the oath that are written in the law you know what he's talking about there? Deuteronomy chapter 28 where Moses recites all of the curse, curses that will come upon the nation if they disobey God and all the blessings that will come upon them if they obey Him. The curses and the blessings in the law. Deuteronomy 28. That's, that's what he's referring to. What does... 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10 tell us. Confess our sins. We confess our sins. It's time for the justice against the friends of all unrighteousness. Yes. 
What did he say before that? Beginning in verse 8 and then after in verse 10. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, what's he say? If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. Right? But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A fourth thing I want you to write down. Pray with God-centered petitions. God-centered petitions. Beginning there in verse 17. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. You mentioned that a moment ago, Marlene. We, we see petition after confession. What do we need? God's mercy. God's forgiveness. We need God to turn His attention to us again and extend His favor to us. That's what... Daniel is petitioning God for. God, forgive us, renew us, renew your work among us, look with favor on your land and your temple. And notice what Daniel says his motive is. He doesn't say, God, do this so that your people can be great again and admired by everybody. What's he say? Basically, God, do this for your glory because of who you are. Right? Do it to bring honor and glory to your name. It'd be like praying, God, make us a strong body of believers, not so people would talk about us, but so that we would glorify you in this city. Establish us. Give us your vision. Give us fruit in our work so that we might change this place for you and that men and women would turn to you and give you the glory that your name deserves. That should be why we pray. Daniel's petitions were not man-centered. They were God-centered. Folks, the church today is too man-centered. The church all over the place. I'm speaking of the church as a whole. Man-centered. We need to be God-centered. Again, James, I mentioned James. I told you I'd say it again. James 4, the very reason we don't see our petitions answered 
is because we want God to do things for us to meet our desires. When's the last time you've ever heard somebody pray, God, if you have to break me and rebuild me to make me the man or the woman of God you want me to be, God, do it. Have you heard that? Probably not. God, take anything away from me you want to take away from me so you'll be the priority in my life. Have you prayed that lately? Probably not. That's risky praying, isn't it? But folks, that's the kind of praying that the Bible invites us to do. Encourages us to do. That's positive praying. Yes. So what's some lessons? Uh written these out for you without any blanks so you wouldn't miss anything. Human wisdom is not sufficient to determine the content of our prayers. Just like the Scripture makes us wise unto salvation, it makes us wise unto praying as well. Add the dimension to your Bible read. Read your Bible with the thought in mind, how can I better pray as a result of what I've read and studied today? Second lesson, have times of prayer in your life that are less casual. Now, of course, we emphasize, you know, pray as you drive down the road, just don't close your eyes. Uh, pray without ceasing. Uh, But folks, add to that times where you have to make some adjustments to get alone with God and pray. Be inconvenienced. And then thirdly, evaluate more carefully your petitions. Do your petitions invite God to bless your plans and desires? Or do your petitions emphasize your transformation to join God in His activity for His glory. Okay. Anything you want to add tonight? Anybody? It just makes me think about how the Lord's Prayer ends. The life of the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It begins and it ends with him being the focus. Yes. Hallelujah. Yep. Mm -hmm.